Welcome to the Tripping Off Podcast. My name is Jesse Lyon, social media influencer, guy who talks about dreams, hypnotherapist, all those things. You probably already know me already, but if you don't, welcome. Thank you for checking me out. You might be watching me on YouTube, you might be listening to me on Spotify, but either way, I'm really happy that you're here and I'm really happy we get to talk today about holding space which is a weird idea, it's a weird concept, but the more that I spend time with people and the more time that I spend with myself, the more that I recognize that this is a real problem. For me, <laughs> this is something I am, um, well, I'm both good at and bad at all at the same time, and I'm gonna start with a story, um, a partial story, because there have been some pretty dramatic things that have taken place uh, in my life over the past two months. And by pretty dramatic, uh, I am very much exaggeratingly understating the point. <laughs> uh, I can't talk about it yet, uh, but Joy and I will talk about everything that's been kind of going on and kind of give you, give you an update. Um, but for now, I need to talk with you about something that probably applies to you just as much as it does to me, holding space. In this time when things have been very difficult for me over these past two months, um, really changed my perspective, rocked my foundation, been a huge responsibility stress, uh, emotional drain, financial drain, safety drain, those times in your life when you don't feel safe, when you don't feel secure, you don't know how to move forward, you don't know what's gonna happen next, how do you hold space? And what do we mean by that? So let's talk about this idea. Holding space is the idea of not trying to fix something because trying to fix something would be inappropriate for that situation. When you hold space, you, you develop an environment that holds and protects and cares for an experience rather than trying to change, manipulate, or alter that experience. The reason that this is so important, we're going to get into it, but the reason it's so important I need you to understand first of all, I need myself to understand first of all, is that when we start to try and adapt, change, manipulate an experience, an event, a, a point in time, we necessarily sacrifice clarity. When we try and change something, we sacrifice insight into it. And this is, this is scientific. This is something that we know from scientific, the scientific method, from research and experiments. We call it observational bias. When we are trying to observe something or change something or come up with a solution to a problem, test a hypothesis, just by the fact of having that desire for change be present in our minds, we perceive things differently. And uh, <laughs> this can... <laughs> This can happen from your children uh, or your spouse all the way to the way that you see politics and advertisement on TV or that TV show that you like so much. You ever watched a TV show or a movie with somebody and they got a totally different set of experiences or vibes from a certain scene than you did? Observational bias. Everyone is coming at things from their own frame of reference, from their own ideas and biases and understandings. Holding space is so powerful because it understands that this is going to happen, that we come to things with our own biases and preconceived notions and desires for change. It's, it's okay and natural to desire change. Nobody wants to stay in a miserable situation, but when we try and move very quickly from a miserable situation to something different, we change 
and we lose understanding. When we hold space, we accept that this is a reality. We don't try and say that it's good, but we just hold on to it and say, wow, this is important. And we need to understand what's going on here and respect it. There's something interesting. We, we often disrespect negative experiences and sometimes even positive experiences, especially if we're the very self-critical, perfectionistic type. Yeah, I'm talking, talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking to me too. That's the scary part. Never mind. <laughs> but we move on so quickly because we want it to be different. And even when we are successful, like, congratulations, you hit a million followers on TikTok. I'm like, okay, great, Jesse, that's awesome. When's two million? When's five million? When's 10 million? When are you going to get this? When are you going to get that? When are these opportunities going to come? And we never sit and hold space for moments. And when we don't hold space for moments, we lose an understanding of what it is. And when we lose understanding, we lose the power to do something productive with it. When you understand something, you can use it. That's why, um, gosh, that's why, that's why we uh, limit or should limit children's abilities to access the internet. If you don't know what you're doing with it, you can hurt yourself or you can get in a lot of trouble. But if you understand and have some empathy and some connection with the tool that is the internet, you can use it for some incredible things. Case in point, I'm talking to you right now and we're having a conversation about something. Maybe it's a little bit one-sided as far as me speaking, but you're conversing back with me through the thoughts in your head. And that's, that's a beautiful thing for the internet, but you don't give that to a three-year-old. They could stumble across some inappropriate material. There's necessary, Understanding needs to come with that because a three-year-old can't, doesn't have the capacity to understand these things. Therefore, they cannot hold space. Therefore, they cannot use it to its fullest potential. Knowledge is power. Wisdom is opportunity. <clears throat> you can quote me on that. <clears throat> so holding space. And I need to, to kind of make a couple points in order to get a full understanding of this holding space idea. The first point is empathy. A lot of people think they have empathy, think they understand empathy, but I really feel strongly that most people misunderstand empathy. And it is quite a meme online right now <laughs> where uh, you make an obvious statement and you're like, you say, you, you preface it saying, me as an empath understanding that, or me as an empath predicting that. Uh, and so it's like, you know, you're watching somebody like really shaky on uh, rollerblades and you're like me as an empath, uh, predicting that they'll probably fall in this video. <laughs> it's a, it's a joke. It's a joke, but empathy has kind of become a joke in a lot of ways. It's, it's just like OCD or anxiety or depression or narcissism or antisocial personality, sociopath, right? These are all terms that have become so, uh, in, in vogue in modern culture, in our vocabulary, that we've kind of lost the nuance and significance of what they actually mean. I feel strongly that empathy is one of those words. What is empathy? And how is it different from holding space? Empathy is when you, as an individual, can perceive very accurately um, the emotions and experiences of another. It's, it's the ability to take yourself from your shoes and put yourself in another person's shoes. 
which is an incredibly powerful gift. And some people have it, some people do not. There's no reason to shame somebody who doesn't have empathy. There's no reason to necessarily praise somebody who does have empathy if they're not using it right. It's a talent. It's a skill. It's an ability. It can be grown with exercise and practice, but uh, some people have it more naturally inborn. Some people do not. The ability to put yourself in somebody's shoes. It's just like the internet. It is a tool. Empathy is a tool. And empathy goes hand in hand with holding space because in order to hold space for somebody's junk, for somebody's garbage, or even their happy experiences, you have to be able to connect with them deeply and understand what they might be feeling in that situation. You don't even have to do it well because a couple points that I'll get to here in a minute will explain how you can do that and how holding space relies on some other necessary pillars, not just empathy. A lot of people think that empathy is everything. And I'm kind of here to say that that is not the case. And in fact, empathy can be a very dangerous tool. I have often advocated that empathy can be a dangerous tool just as much as narcissism can be a dangerous tool. I think they can actually both be equally painful, impactful, and damaging to others. We'll get to that maybe in another podcast episode. So empathy. It's a great skill. Putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. Necessary for being able to hold space. Now the problem is though, and this is where empathy gets a little bit dangerous, much like a tool in the hands of somebody who's unaware of how powerful that tool is. When we use empathy to put ourselves into another person's shoes and thereby abdicate or relinquish our own authority in our life, that becomes toxic and sick and dangerous. When we use empathy to step into somebody else's world and lose hold and lose connection with our world, losing objectivity from our world and stepping into somebody else's shoes, we do not provide them something valuable. We do not provide them something that is helpful. And there's a lot of people who think that empathy is really helpful, but I would have to disagree. When you're using empathy to reject and push to the side who you are, but step into somebody else's shoes, you're doing something dangerous because you then become so invested and you start to attach and tie your life to somebody else. You lose your identity and you start to kind of consume and uh, subsume the identity of somebody else. This is actually very much the foundation of borderline personality disorder, right? Not diagnosing anybody, right? Uh, and I, I also don't want you to hear this as me diagnosing you if you struggle with this empathy. I struggle with it too, and I'm not diagnosed with borderline. But this is uh, a, a aspect, a component to borderline. Borderline personality, if you want to really talk about it, at its core is the struggle and the difficulty with maintaining a strong sense of self-identity. Somebody who has borderline personality disorder will run to another person to try and attach to them so that way they can have a sense of self. Someone with borderline does not have an inborn sort of natural sense of self. Usually this comes from trauma. When somebody's personality is so shredded by trauma and sort of broken apart by complex stress, they lose the ability to maintain a strong ego center, a strong sense of self. And so they will attach with somebody else because it's like, well, if I can't have my identity, I'll have yours. And this is where you get the very dangerous communications, uh, the very dangerous ideas 
like you see in movies. I haven't seen this movie, but I've heard like you see in the movie Fatal Attraction um, because if this person's identity is my identity, then I will start to say things like, if I can't have you, then nobody will. Or um, uh, if you don't love me back, I'll kill myself. Because it makes sense. If I can't have this other person, if I can't connect with this individual deeply, then I have no sense of identity and I'm basically already dead. Might as well follow it up with physical death. Now, of course, if you have any struggles with this, if you're having suicidal thoughts, uh, definitely contact someone, work these things through because there is help, there is recovery, there's ways through this. But I'm making a point here about how empathy can become toxic, right? And now, gosh, follow with me, it gets, it gets darker. <laughs> a lot of times those who are very empathetic experience empathy because of trauma. When a little child experiences something very painful, right? A uh, little bit of a trigger warning. It, this may bring up some painful experiences from your past, um, but stay with me. Remain grounded. You're here. You're safe. We're having a conversation together and we're gaining insight, even though that insight's painful. When a child experiences trauma, normally a child is supposed to develop and a parent is supposed to observe them and congratulate them and comment on who they are. So my parents look at me and they say, wow, Jesse, you know, you're really good at baseball. I'm not, I'm not good at baseball. I'm using an example. <laughs> I don't know anything about sports ball. <laughs> but a parent is supposed to observe their child and they're supposed to say, wow, you're good at this or wow, that was really difficult for you, wasn't it? And so a child starts to learn, oh, I'm good at this. I'm bad at these. I like these things and I don't like these things. They start to develop an identity. But let's say that child goes through trauma, right? I just watched the Harry Potter movie last night. The very first one. I've never seen Harry Potter. <laughs> I've never seen the movies. Uh, I wasn't allowed to growing up. So uh, I'm, I'm catching up on my childhood a little bit here. But um, Harry Potter is stuck underneath the staircase. He's locked away. That's traumatic, painfully traumatic. Nobody's commenting on who Harry is. And so you see Harry have this identity crisis throughout the movie. He doesn't know who he is because of complex trauma. He's also very empathetic. He stands up for people. He sticks up for people. He talks to people uh, in ways that other people don't. He's able to make connections and understandings about things that other people miss because he's so empathetic. Think about it. Harry had to. If he was going to survive under the staircase, he had to be able to perceive the emotions of his aunt and uncle and his kind of stepbrother, I guess it's his cousin though, accurately. Because if he did not accurately identify their feelings in the moment, he might get hit or hurt or abused. Starting to sound familiar? Yeah, I get you. Those type of people, there's probably some that's inborn. There's some that's a natural sort of biological genetic gift for empathy. But then through traumatic experiences, we often develop a second level of intense empathy, empaths. Now, just because you're an empath doesn't mean you're a savior like Harry. Harry had to do a lot of work and make a lot of mistakes in order to be the hero that we see at the end of this series. I'm only on movie one, so don't, don't spoil anything for me. <laughs> but this is what I'm talking about. Empathy, when not developed 
when not understood in its nuance and complexity, can become the grounds for borderline personality, toxic traits, painful relationships and interactions. Because we do know that they're even considering changing the name of borderline personality to complex uh, PTSD, CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, because usually borderline personality develops through complex trauma, much like Harry Potter had, right? Lost his parents, abusive childhood, all this stuff. He would be a perfect candidate for developing borderline personality because highly empathetic, but maybe so empathetic that he loses himself in connecting with others. You're seeing where I'm getting, right? It's all coming full circle. This is why this idea that I'm talking about today of holding space is so painfully imperative. So how do we fix it? I never like to leave, I never like to leave things with just a painful observation. There has to be hope, and I think there always is hope. And if you can't find it yourself, don't worry. I will help you find it. The hope is you can care for others, and care for yourself. You see, the lie at the bottom of borderline personality, the lie at the bottom of toxic empathy, and I do believe in that term, you can quote me on that, the lie at the bottom of our painful perfectionism, self-criticism, procrastination, and lack of motivation is that we can care for others or we can care for ourselves. And that is not true. You can care for others and yourself at the same time. You can maintain a strong and stable connection with your identity and who you are while caring for others. In fact, that's the only way to healthy and overcoming painful traumatic experiences and helping your friends in deep empathetic relationships. There's no other way to it. If you lose yourself, you can't help. But the lie is that we need to lose ourselves and put ourselves in the background in order to help others. I would even go so far as to say that sometimes this can be selfish. And I'll tell you why. And this is where I equate oftentimes toxic empathy. Remember, big keyword toxic. I don't want you just thinking empathy is bad. It's amazing and beautiful. And it's what therapists use and it's what your best friend uses and it's what those people who have lifted up and built your life use. But this is where I equate toxic empathy with narcissism, clinical narcissism. <clears throat> because toxic empathy comes from an unrealized and unexpressed selfish desire to lose oneself. Maybe I know that ending my life is not a great way to move forward. Maybe I know that, that ending my existence is not the answer, at least shouldn't be the answer, but maybe I haven't figured out why it shouldn't be the answer. Wouldn't it be great if I could end my life by losing myself in the help and pursuit of others. A lot of times people who struggle with confidence and self-esteem and caring and self-care will lose themselves in the care for others because it is an acceptable social, relational community suicide. Whew, sit on that for a moment, hold space for that. I've done it. I've had those experiences where I've lost myself in trying to care for others because I hated myself. I've had those experiences where I didn't want to take care of myself and so I just let go and just, oh, I'm gonna care for others instead. If I have to be around, if, if 
uh, not being here is not an acceptable solution, then I'll just not be here by helping others so much. <laughs> and it does, it does get emotional for me because it's difficult. It's very difficult and it's painful because the, the one person that I should be caring for, but that I can't care for is me. It's difficult. It's really difficult because it's a lot easier to care for others, especially when you're told to care for others and to neglect and lose yourself. In fact, oftentimes growing up, it was encouraged. Oftentimes for you and, and for your experiences, we are told, put others first. Don't, you know, don't worry about your needs. That's selfish. Put others first, serve others first, serve yourself last. And there's times when, when we can serve others before ourselves, but that's not a solution for every time. That's not a way to live your life. You have to be there for yourself. You have to be there for yourself because you're the most important person that you will ever meet. You're the, uh, <laughs> you are the main character in the story. As cliche as that is, you're the only one that matters in your story. Now, that doesn't mean that you get to just, you know, bowl over people or run over people with your emotions and what you want to do. In fact, you make yourself better by helping others. But don't forget that by helping others, the primary motivation is that you become a better human being. And this is what I talk about with my interns all the time. If your motivation for being a helper and in the helping profession is because it makes you happy to help other people, stop, get out, don't do it anymore. And I know that's really strong, but I mean it that strong because you have to understand that can only take you so far. There will come a point if you are doing this for other people, there will come a point when you will be so burnt out and so crushed and so lost in who you are as a human being that you'll become toxic. Instead, why not help others because helping others makes you a better human? Why not help others? Because every person's life that you come in contact, every conversation that you have with someone else helps you understand the human experience and helps you live it better, helps you be a more rounded, full and holistic, complete person. Because life and the experience that we get in the years that we have on this earth are all that we can count on. So you might as well make the most of it. You might as well do the thing that's hard and admirable and courageous and respectable, honorable, helping others because it makes you a better person. What a stronger, more powerful and impactful foundation that is. It allows you to understand that the love that you have for others begins and ends in yourself. And that's the only way that we can love. And you look at this, you look at, look at religion, uh, and this is what religion is based on. This is what a lot of religion is based on. I would argue most of the main important ones, your love for the world, your love for others has to begin and end in you. And some people talk about that like uh, in the form of Christianity saying that God, you know, the God's love for us begins and ends in himself, being a model for how we should treat others. Uh, in other religions, more Eastern ones, they understand that all of humanity is connected and lives inside of me. Uh, in more sort of uh, native uh, kind of traditions, more, um, you know, Native American cultures uh, over here on the Western Hemisphere, 
They talk about the whole world, Mother Nature, is and embodies its existence inside of me. So taking care of me and taking care of Mother Nature, taking care of others is taking care of me. They understand this. But why is it that in Western society, we, in modern culture, we don't understand it? We've missed it so much. I've missed it so much. I'm only getting it now. <laughs> Heavy. Holding space means recognizing that empathy means holding on to yourself and holding on to someone else at the same time. The lie is that it's black and white. It's always been gray. And gray is a beautiful place to live. It's nuanced and subtle. It's beautiful and colorful. Gray is amazing. It's always been both caring for others and caring for yourself. And by caring for others, you care for yourself. And by caring for yourself, you care for others. It's always been intertwined like that. But maybe, maybe I'm only realizing it now. Maybe you're only realizing it now with me. And holding space requires you to have that kind of empathy in order to hold someone else's pain, in order to hold someone else's joy. You have to also hold yourself and your experience of their pain or their joy. On a lighter note, this is really interesting when it comes to dating relationships. <laughs> this is very interesting when it comes to romance and love, and especially sex, especially sex, because romance and love can oftentimes sort of bypass the physical, right? But when you have sex, and sex can sometimes bypass the emotional, right? If you get too far into just the, you know, one night stand kind of kind of interactions. But um, holistic and, and beautiful romance that includes sexual intimacy really has and holds this idea of both empathy and holding space, right? When you are talking with someone, when you are being with someone, uh, <laughs> it's easy to kind of find an individual who isn't very good at understanding what you're talking about. You ever been on that first date? and you're really excited. You're like, great, you got high expectations, high hopes, this is gonna be awesome. And then you sit down and they just ask the dumbest questions. And they just start talking about themselves. The questions aren't thoughtful, they aren't provoking, they're not well articulated. And the moment they get an opportunity to talk about themselves or the moment that you respond to one of their questions that weren't very insightful or well-developed, they use it as an opportunity to talk about their experiences and what they're into and what they like and what they're interested in. Ugh. draining, draining, because it's not holding space and it's not empathetic. They're not interested. And, you know, we have to understand people are a lot stupider than we give them credit for. That includes yourself. That includes me. <laughs> I'm a lot stupider than I think I am. We have to always remember that. And so I don't think that it's necessarily malicious or maligning. It's uh, ignorant. It's, uh, they don't know. They don't know that it's coming across this way. Oftentimes they don't know that they're not being empathetic. They think that they're being empathetic because they're sharing their story with you. And it was related to tangentially the story that you told about 25 minutes ago because they've been monologuing for the past 25 minutes. Kind of like I have right now. Monologuing anyway. <clears throat> but it goes both ways. Do you let them go on for 25 minutes? Do you put yourself at the back of the car? Do you maybe not even let yourself be in the car? You stop and pull off and let them drive and joyride your vehicle 
your vehicle of the relationship and you let them talk. Stop it. Put a stop to it. Say, hey, uh, I really appreciate your story, um, but I don't think you understood what I said. Or, hey, you know, I'm just noticing that um, you talk a lot. I tell people this. I've been trying to practice this bold honesty, empathetic and kind bold honesty. Uh, hey, that was um, that made me feel this way, or I feel this way when you say that. Confront it. It is not helpful to let someone continue on in their ignorance. And some people would like to remain ignorant. And in those situations, it is of the best interest of you and the other person, it behooves you to not continue in that. If they don't want insight, they don't want information of, hey, when you do that, I feel this way. <clears throat> if they don't want insight, that's fine. Leave the conversation. But somebody who actually is trying, have the conversation, have the painful interactions. By trying to avoid those, by thinking that we're doing them a service, by letting somebody continue in those things, we are avoiding painful confrontation. And let me tell you, if you're a perfectionist and you're the type of person who calls yourself an empath, I got an idea that you probably hate confrontation. Starting to make sense now, isn't it? It's not that you hate confrontation. You like confrontation with yourself. You do it all the time. You tell yourself a hundred thousand things that you do wrong every single day. It's not confrontation. It's, I don't want the painful experience of being honest. I am comfortable with avoiding this. I am comfortable with not confronting these things. I would like to keep myself safe and be lazy, maybe a strong word, but it also may be appropriate. <laughs> and I know, listen, now, now the voice is going on in your head saying, oh, God, see, here's another thing that I do wrong. No, that's the problem. You didn't do it wrong. You may have done it incorrectly. Yes, so you may have done it wrong, but did you do it wrong on purpose? No, you're learning, okay? I'm learning too. I'm, like I said, I'm only figuring this stuff out now. <sighs> you're learning. So don't beat yourself up because that's falling right back into the other thing. You like to beat yourself up because it gives you a sense of control. Stop. But it's like, okay, maybe you didn't understand this dynamic about yourself. Maybe you've thought of yourself as an empath. You've been really proud of that, which is good. You should be proud of yourself. However, that empathy needs some practice. That empathy needs some uh, exercise by learning to hold space. And that happens a lot with romance. Now, this idea, I want to boil it down. This holding space is fundamentally founded upon caring for yourself while you care for others. I don't know, if you take notes, if you take notes in your mind, if you remember anything from this podcast, it's caring for yourself while you care for others. It's both. It's called holding space, caring for yourself while caring for others. I'm going to repeat it a couple times because it's important. This is very deeply involved in sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy, oftentimes we think, and sometimes if people are honest with us, they'll say that we're bad in bed because, not because we didn't care for the other person, not because they didn't have a fantastic time. We did everything that they wanted to. We're pretty used to not doing the things that we want to sexually. We care for other people. Holding space though, doing that correctly, looks like you pleasuring yourself, engaging with the other person to pleasure yourself while you also pleasure them. It's asking for what you want and enjoying them giving you what you want, watching their joy as they observe your joy, and then you experience that passionate and amazing relationship together. It's not enough to just give them whatever they want. That's not intimate. 
it's sex, but it's not intimacy. And you thought you were being an empath. <laughs> Guilty, done it, right? Um, that's incredibly important. There's a strong selfish component to sex and sexuality, a positively selfish component that needs to be there. Because when we ask for, when we show passion, when we show desire for our partner, I want this with you. It's sexy. <laughs> it's, it's hot. It's really exciting because our partner then experiences us desiring them. And there's nothing sexier than that. Well, I don't know, maybe you can think of a couple things, but that's, I mean, that's one of the, gotta be one of the main pillars, right? When we allow ourselves to say, I want this with you. I want to do this with you. I look at you and I think about these three things that I would like to experience with you. That's a real turn on for, for you and for the other person. Uh, it's not enough to just give them what they want because you're not involved in the relationship. I can tell you there's a lot of couples that I've counseled who have sex, who have physical intimacy, but they don't have intimacy. Well, they have physical sex, but they don't have physical intimacy because the one is just pleasing the other. They're not actually actively participating. And so think about it. They lose their identity in that physical sexual encounter. They don't know who they are. They haven't taken the time to explore who they are, what they want, what they desire. Go and masturbate and figure out what it is that you like to do, what makes you pleased. So that way you can bring that in and be like, hey, I like these things. I'd love to participate in these things that I like with you. Which if you think about it is what they do, right? It's what, it's what you've been giving to them. Why wouldn't they also want to give that to you? And if they don't want to give that to you, then you may have a bigger problem that you need to talk with someone about. Maybe time for some couples counseling. So you can see, and this, this happens uh, in communication as well as physical sexual intimacy. Communication, it needs to go back and forth as well. There needs to be, hey, I want to talk about this and you want to talk about this. So we're, we're going to take turns. We're going to go back and forth. I'm going to tell you what I want. You're going to tell me what you want. I'm going to hold space for you and care for myself while I also care for you communication, physical, sexual, and this also goes for finances. This also goes for career. This also goes for life plans. This also goes for parenting, holding space, caring for others while you care for yourself. And it's a topic that we need to talk about. It's something that we need to think about together. So I think that's the end of my thoughts. There's some other things that we can talk about. There's some other things that I might talk about in future episodes. I think we need to have a conversation about patience and what that looks like in this idea of holding space. Uh, and I also need to remind you that one of the things we should probably also talk about is distracting. Oftentimes we don't hold space for others and we engage in toxic empathy because we want to distract from the painful identity that we feel we are. We don't really like ourselves and so we try and distract ourselves from ourselves by caring for others, which is, so complex and so just fucky, right? It's, it's a mess. It's spaghetti soup here. <sighs> so that's all I got for you. Holding space. Let me know what you think. I'm curious if this has resonated with you. Send me a message on Instagram or, or YouTube. Please actually put it in the comments down below uh, on YouTube if you could. That would be a great place to kind of hold this. I'd love to start a conversation. What things about I, that I talked about today were impactful, what things were not. I'm just interested because this is a whole new concept for me and I would love some feedback uh, from each of you because I really do appreciate the community and the connection that we have. Um, as I explore the world, I get to share it with you. 
and you get to explore the world with me. And that's really exciting. So thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting the channel. Everything is at Lion Mental Health, L-Y-O-N Mental Health. You can find me www.lionmentalhealth.com. Buy the merch, support the channel. Thanks for being here and I'll see you next time. Peace. This episode of the Tripping Off Podcast was sponsored by HD Counseling. They are truly the future of therapy, with a network of over 50 therapists in the Orlando and Winter Park area who each specialize in different mental health topics. They provide the care and empathy needed to truly change your life. What makes them unique is that each therapist runs their own business under the cooperative of HD Counseling. So no matter what you're going through, you will receive an independent, highly motivated therapist who will care and empower you to create change in your life. Even if you are outside the Orlando area, every therapist offers telehealth sessions to anyone in the state of Florida. Find your perfect therapist at www.hdcounseling.com. They are committed to your growth.